this village does not change. But because the gold is the unit of account and the medium of exchange for all monetary forms of social interaction, there will be chits that represent the movement of this gold. Okay, and that's what a bond is. When gold moves, if gold moves from protagonist A to protagonist B, it is without exception because it's extinguished some form of credit, be it social, be it the clearing credit or the, uh, the, the, the lending side, the capital side. Okay, if gold has moved, it has always extinguished some form of credit. Okay. Now, a bank is just basically someone, uh, uh, or the banking system just brings uh, order to this arrangement that would naturally exist amongst the people anyway. It liquefies this, the, the representation of this interaction. Okay, so one particular bank could be a cross-section like that. You know, and another bank could be a cross-section, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a commercial bank, you know, and it just has that. Or there could be another bank which, um, which is just this. But the point is that you look at the bank and the ill-informed will think they've only got this much gold and they've extended this much credit. Well, that's fractional banking and that's wrong, you know. So I think we can quite easily see that it's not wrong. The bank is just sort of a particular cross-section of, of the social interaction, basically. The bank's credit does not, uh, is, uh, it doesn't liquidate at the same time, for one. You know, no, none of this, all of these bonds do not liquidate at the same time. So it's not like it's putting all of this pressure on this amount of gold. The liabilities exist at different times when they have to pay off. Okay, so it, it is, is that clear? Is that clear that um, the bank is doing nothing more than um, liquefying a particular part of the, uh, the social interaction? It's bringing order. There is nothing fraudulent when you look at a bank's books and you see... Um, a hundred ounces of, or a hundred tons of gold and 50,000, that might be a bit too much, okay, but 5,000 tons of credit outstanding. There is nothing fraudulent in that at all. It's just merely bringing uh, into one place an aggregation of, uh, of particular bonds, which would exist anyway. Okay, they would exist anyway. People will interact anyway. 
the bank is just there to make the spreads between borrower and lender as narrow as possible. Okay, is, 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 that, is that clear? It's clear, crystal clear. Okay. So I've already talked about it, but um, the closest thing that you can get to gold without being gold itself is a real bill, this self-liquidating form of credit. There's pretty much um, no risk attached in, in these instruments liquidating into cash gold. But there is a greater risk of these instruments um, liquidating into cash gold. You know, there's obviously much more room for, uh, for error. And what they actually call higher order money, sorry, is, is again a mistake. It's credit. The only thing that is money is gold. Gold is money. Money is gold. Ben Bernanke does not print money, he prints credit, okay? He can't print money. So this is money, and this is credit, which is synonymous with the movement of money. So any idiot that thinks that the amount of credit is actually restricted by the amount of gold in the system doesn't understand the nature of interaction. Okay, the amount of credit is not related in some linear fashion to the amount of gold in the system. It's related to how the gold is moving in the system. And there is no limit to the way that gold can move in a system. So there is no limit to the amount of credit that it can support if it's moving quickly enough. Okay, I haven't finished with our example with our, our villager here. <clears throat> so, two years have passed and the repayment of the chits is now due. Our poor enterprising villager has hit a, hit a bit of a problem. He has saved insufficient money from his uh, warehousing activities to pay off the loan, the credit that was granted to him in full. So we all make mistakes. You can't sort of um, blame him for that uh, per se. Errors and pitfalls are part of human nature. So the three villagers being honourable people said, don't worry, don't worry. We want to found a grammar school and provide it with an income into perpetuity. And so the enterprising villager is, is listening along. The villagers tell the enterprising villager to change the old chit for a new chit that represents a, represents a fixed annual amount, annual money sum, into perpetuity. So again, a rate agreed by all was haggled and an agreement was forged. 
and the newly founded grammar school held the chit which proclaimed an eternal bond from the warehouseman to the grammar school. And the three villagers thought, well, we want, to, we want it to, the grammar school to be funded in this way because the grammar school, just like the activity of the warehouse, is likely to be perpetual in nature. So it's a suitable, it's a suitable funding mechanism. Uh, but the point that I'm trying to, to get across here is that such disputes are very rarely s settled so amicably. Okay. What the, uh, the, the enterprising villager did was a form of borrowing short and lending long. He took credit for an insuffi insufficient duration for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, in relation to the payoff of, or expected payoff profile of the profits from the sale of produce from the warehouse. And it's not something that, uh, it's not something that was done intentionally. It was a mistake. Okay, but the point about it is that come two years, unless some kind of rearrangement was made, that, that, that bond would be worthless, effectively. Because there's no way for him, there's no way for the, uh, the villager to uh, repay the debt. Okay, so... You can classify the problems that we have in our current monetary system, again using the uh, example of our village here, uh, into two types. Okay. First of all, these villagers who granted the loan in the first place one would have imagined sat down with this enterprising villager here and discussed the exact uh, requirement for the money, obviously, and profiles of return, etc., etc., and um, this, that, and the other. And, you know, there's more to the relationship than just the bonds. You know, they might be friends or whatever. What if the bond is sold on to some lunatic who has no idea about the, the productive enterprise that it represents? As in, what if you try and induce a bond market? Something that would not naturally happen. You know? Well, then there could be a problem. If someone owns a chit which they have no idea or they don't care what it represents, they just want the money behind it and they will, or the assets behind it and they will do anything to get it, well, then that's wrong. Okay. As, a, as an example, the, um, the Indian banking system, if you grant a loan, you basically need to get approval from the president to sell it on to another bank. You know, there is no active bond market in, uh, in, a, in the same way as there is in, US, in, in the US loan, personal, personal loan market. You know, it, it's, it's just not done. 
The other, the other type of uh, problem is, is very easy to envisage, and it could be actually described as the ultimate problem. Issuing chits with, no, with no intention of ever paying them. Okay, so again, that will rely on um, the the chit being rolled at expiry. So someone coming in and extending credit for a longer duration, um, which begs the question: Why wasn't the correct 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 duration of credit um, sought in the first place? Okay. So that is the ultimate problem, is just issuing loads and loads of, of chits, absolutely no productive enterprise at all going on, and you just keep these chits circulating, you have to keep them circulating, and keep on rolling them as well. Um, and that is basically the problem that we have in our current financial system. It's a, it's a variation, it's a variation on that. It's a, borrowing short to lend long is just, a, is just a very specific fiduciary example of not matching your durations properly. So is, um, is that clear so far? Fairly clear? Not clear at all? Okay. Um, so obviously, if you issue chits without ever intending to repay them, there will be some kind of bifurcation point when the people would realize that it's nothing to do with the quantity of chits in circulation, because as we all know, or as we do now, that is related to the movement of gold, which doesn't have any restriction on it in the pursuit of productive enterprise. But we would have bypassed that at this stage, or we would have done a long time ago in our current, in our current financial system. Um, I think I'll sort of take any questions before the main question period now. <coughs> I, I'll be one of the ignorant ones, but I'm not totally clear. Leaving the bills aside for a moment, because I think they're different, how your example of a certain amount of gold, and the way you've drawn it makes it look like it's supporting a lot more credit than the gold itself, but the example was on a one-for-one -one basis. And so I'm not clear, I don't follow the logic of what you're trying to say, why that certain amount of gold now supports more than just these three bonds. Well, first of all, before this happened, the gold, the gold didn't support anything. The gold was just sitting there in the village. Right. And then there was the intention to do some kind of productive enterprise. And these bonds were created. But the bonds are one for one in your example, right? When you mean one for one, well, what do you mean? Just, 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 just,
66. Yeah. yeah. So if, if I gave you three ounces of gold, you're going to give me, you're going to give me a bond that says you're paying three ounces of yeah. gold for some time. Yeah. So, so my, the three, the three, six, nine ounces of gold are supporting nine ounces of bonds. But it's not supporting 18 ounces of bonds. No, you won't. Let's say you just had in the village, let's say you've had a hundred ounces of gold. <laughs> then uh, after this, you would have a hundred ounces of gold plus nine ounces of bonds. Right. So in that way, well, I'm not saying the 100 ounces of gold supports the entire 9 ounces of bonds, you know. What I'm saying is that if you look at the village as a, as a closed system, uh, you you've gone from... Have, because basically you've got 9 ounces of gold supporting the 9 ounces of bonds. Yeah. And you have an well, well, I haven't got 9 ounces of gold because it would have been spent. It would have been spent by this chap. Can I, can I jump in? Yeah. The nine ounces of gold were borrowed in order to build this warehouse. So they were spent on construction company. Mm -hmm. The construction company now has that gold. They spend it on their staff and they buy materials and so forth. All of those people then might actually lend that gold to some other person who's going to build a, a wood uh, drying kiln to support more construction activity. So now the same gold is now recirculated into more bonds. Then that person spends the money, and then the people who receive that money should actually lend it out again. And what Sandeep is saying is there's no particular limit to the amount of time that that gold will circulate through the creation of additional bonds. You could end up with a situation where you have a thousand ounces or more or less. It's not, it's not a 10 to 1 magic number, but you could have a thousand ounces of bond outstanding of varying durations on that same hundred ounces of gold base. But then you're back to the question of the village not having the gold and not, not getting it back and not being able to pay off the, the Well, that, that problem was a separate problem. Nothing to do with either the amount of gold or the amount of bonds outstanding. Okay. That problem was he simply miscalculated how much profit he would make on his warehouse and he wasn't making enough profit to amortize nine ounces of gold in two years. Where does the profit come from, not the gold? Well, he's, he's providing a service to the villagers by buying, buying the produce when it's dirt cheap right after the harvest and then selling it out throughout the rest of the year so people can have apples in April or whatever it is. That makes whatever profit that it makes. And the profit there has nothing to do with the amount of bonds outstanding. It has to do with how much people value apples in February and April and in May and June and so forth before the apple harvest. <coughs> I wanted to uh, just and, uh, elaborate very quickly on this. Uh, you can either say the bonds themselves or you can say the deposit system, the time deposit system. Okay, you can either hold a bond yourself or you can deposit it with your merchant bank who creates a time deposit against which the bond liquidates at expiry and turns into gold. So this is actually the representation of the time deposit system. 
which is actually not really needed in a proper gold standard because I can just buy my real bills or I can get a discount. I, I don't need to, to give my money to the bank so they can earn something. You're not giving your money to the banks. You, the bank is here. Bank. The protagonists are these people. I'm talking about the lower half. Well, what do you mean? Here. Well, you were saying the, yeah, the upper half of the lower half is the time deposit, right? No, even a bill would be a time deposit. What? If you have a three-month... If, you, if you've got a, a three-month real bill, the choice is you can either own that real bill or you can have a commercial time deposit. Yeah, but why would I take the deposit? Well, do you want to carry around pocket fulls of bills with you? I mean, or bonds? No, but I mean, can I just jump in? Yeah. The banker is a specialist who's doing a couple of things. <coughs> One, he's doing due diligence on these bond issuers and bill issuers, which is not a skill that the average person would have. Number two, he's allowing a small investor to diversify. If you have one ounce of deposit, you could spread that across a thousand different bonds or bills uh, through the through the bank. You could never two services that I can uh, number three. Number three, he's the market maker and narrows the bid spread on these things. Number four, he allows a large bond issuer to spread the bond issue across multiple investors. So all of those services are packaged within the bank. Any one of those those players can say, "Well, I'm going to do without the bank." Just as you could do without the supermarket, you could just go and, and grow vegetables in your backyard. It's not efficient. You're much, if, you're, if you're a computer programmer, it's much more efficient to let the banking system um, handle all of these tasks but for you. But it's true that it's needed more now than in a proper gold standard. Well, today, I guess the whole system is addicted to sort of illegitimate credit. Mm. Um, those are different. Rudy? Sandy, why don't you put your little rectangles with the 10% cash, 50% uh, term deposit, and recycling? I think that makes it clear. Oh, right, right, right. On, on the example that I gave. Yeah, the yeah. example that you gave that makes it perfect. Okay. Um, so, just to show that point in another form. So John has a uh, a monetary balance. John, okay. John, John has a monetary balance. And. Uh, of gold, and he decides that he wants to keep this proportion um, in de on, on demand, which is basically like in his pocket, but the rest he's willing to, uh, to lend out. Okay. So John uh, lends this proportion out. Okay. John lends to James. Okay. 
James spends proceeds with Tony. Okay. Now Tony Now Tony has his own monetary balance. And he decides he wants to keep this much in demand and lend that out. And then you just basically repeat the procedure and you can see how it continues. It's called an iterative procedure there. Can you see how that would continue? Okay, give another to it. So Tony now has his monetary balance. Okay. Lends to Brian. Brian spends it with Matilda. Matilda with her new marginal <coughs> Matilda with her new monetary balance. Okay. And so on. Okay, and at each stage that this money is lent, a bond is born. Bond, 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 okay. But it's the same amount, it's the same gold that's creating all of these bonds. Is, <coughs> is that clearer? Is that clearer? Sandeep, this is a fractional banking system. It's not fractional banking. This is, it's, 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 it's fractal. Okay, it's not fractional. This process happens regardless of whether there are banks or not. I, did I even mention a bank here? Rudy. Put the numbers up and they'll understand. You take 60 units and 40 mm. and 30 and 20 and you add it all up, it's 120 and you started with 60. What the heck? What's going on? Yeah, but yeah. if they mature at the right time, there's no problem because this will pay that back and that will pay the other back and it all works nice yeah. if the temporal matches there. Well, these guys would not be borrowing gold unless they knew how they were going to pay off, pay off the, 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 the bond, basically. And obviously, it's not the same gold that's used to pay off the bond. You know, it's, it's a different, different amount, a different amount, a different piece of gold. Or different pieces of gold. And yeah, right. If that was like uh, if if John started with a hundred ounces of gold and that was the only amount of gold in the system, this experiment is about. Mm. Okay. And yeah. no, I, I I don't think that's true. Okay. Actually, yes. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. 
If there's only 100 ounces in the system, then this doesn't work? No, 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 you're right. It, it, sorry. If there's only in the system, and John starts with those 100 ounces, that's fine. That's okay. That's, right. okay. Yeah. that's the whole system. All the gold in the world sits up there, uh -huh. and it works this way. It's just one person example. It could be a million persons. It's, it's just that the times, the basically maturity of the bonds has to work out in such an order that they know that they get paid off in the right time. Matilda has to one person can pay the next can pay the next. So it's the same gold isn't owed to ten people at the same instant. Right. It's owed to one person who then has a day to pay it to the next person who has a day to pay it to the next person. Right. So the, the debt can be liquidated just as rapidly or even more rapidly as it was created in the first place. So if John lends money to Tony um, and he wants his money paid back in one year, Tony... No, no, John doesn't lend to Tony. He lends to James, I'm who spends the proceeds with Tony. There's no relationship between John and Tony, per se. If I get it right, let me... A fractional banking system can continue to eternity, where it can have a boom and bust cycles, very big boom and bust cycles. Here under, under gold system, you are telling me that it is a self-liquidating mechanism mm -hmm. which makes sure that the system credit is stretched only to the extent which gold can support. No. Um, no, no. Um, no. Uh, can you say it again? Sorry? <laughs> System credit can be stretched only to an extent yeah. which this gold can support because this has to be liquidated to support the remaining gold. Well, um, you're not going to take on some kind of venture if you thought you weren't going to get a gold a payoff from it. Yes. So, so that's the difference between fractional banking system and this system. That it does not allow. This, uh, a credit or a this, isn't a, this, is, this is a system in as much as nature is a system. There's nothing contrived about this or, or, or forced. You know, this is the way that human beings would naturally arrange their interaction anyway. It's by, by issuing, it's by the movement of the monetary substance and representations that the movement has to be liquidated by paying the money back again. You know. And the things that have been signed are the bonds that just represent the fact that gold will eventually have to move back to the lender. So, so there's, there are three, at least three factors that limit the growth of credit in this system. One is the availability of gold that somebody's willing to lend at an interest rate that makes sense for your project. Mm. Number two, your expectation of making a profit sufficient to, to pay it. Um, so let's make sure it's what was the third. The, oh, and the, and the third is the willingness of the person who gets the proceeds. So when, in this case, John hires James to build the warehouse, it's now James's call as to how much he wants to keep on demand and how much he wants to lend. So with each case here, Sandeep drew it as sort of a shrinking. Each person who receives proceeds keeps some on reserve and some to lend. So it's shrinking with each stage. At some point, it hits a finite. But the, but the, but the proportion of that is not a, 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 an intrinsic thing. It was probably a much greater number in 1500 than it would be today because the economy is more sophisticated today. People don't need to keep vast sums of gold on demand today the way they would have needed 500 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the range of calamities you expect to happen tomorrow 
is a much smaller set than the 1500. We don't expect a famine to wipe out half of North America tomorrow, or a black plague, or whatever. Uh, and so that, that represents people's fear and uncertainty of the future. When people are more confident of the future, they'll keep a smaller balance on demand. Luigi. And add something to that, too. That if anybody understands how this thing works, when you aggregate all this in the whole system, the little gray parts are the cash part, and the white part is what's actually being lent. And today, it's, an, it's opposite. It's the bank who decides the so-called reserve ratio, how much to keep in cash, and how much to lend. And it's very artificial, and it's generally zero, or negative, or God knows. But then, it's each individual money owner, on his view of the world, of the economy, of how risky things are, who decides how much to keep in the current account. And that's it. One election, not one. But that's decentralized and what it says. Absolutely. It's a grab of power. A man takes the power from everyone and says, now I'm going to tell you that we're going to make 20% of the revision. And the proper goal says that the very phrase of the centralized banking system. That's why it's fantastic. And it's the individual money owner. And this whole thing started to break down when property rights were invaded. When you deposit your furniture in a warehouse, it's your furniture. When you deposit your money in the bank, it's the bank's money. And the bank decides what to do with it, no matter what you want. So you can keep your money out of the bank. And you have to go forward in the ground. So this is what um, Rudy's getting me to explain here. We only have 100 ounces of gold, but the total amount of time deposits outstanding up to this stage is 180 ounces of gold. And there's nothing fraudulent about that at all. If you only have 100 ounces of gold and you lend out 90, where is the interest going to come from to pay Oh, well, that will be from all of these ingenious, productive endeavors that these but people have borrowed the money for. Gold, right? No, but if you um, if you come up with a productive endeavor, that means that means that. Um, <clears throat> you save five ounces of gold or you don't need to spend five ounces of gold because you've done some improvement in productivity somewhere. That is where the, the gold comes from. It's from that genius who realized that instead of running across five miles to cross the river and going across here to sell my produce which costs me X, if I just build myself a boat made of leaves, I can sell it for X plus 20. <coughs> so building a boat with leaves was his productive step, you know, to cross the river instead of running five miles around the river or something. Really? Uh, if you take this to the big picture, this is the sweet spot. All the productive in productivity improvements feed back into the system, and the, the, those very 10 ounces of gold in 10 years will buy more than the same 10 ounces of gold bought 10 years ago. So if all you do is keep your gold in your pocket, you're still ahead. And that was the, the story under the gold standard. Gentle, slow deflation, so-called deflation, 
rather than the inflation that Mr. Bernanke's 2% per year, mm -hmm. which is chasing you and chasing you and eating you up, and all the profits and all the improvements in productivity, and the warehouse guy who makes his uh, uh, produce warehouse, all that juice goes to the banks instead of staying in people's pockets. And the fact that the total money supply, the gold supply grows 2% a year, stock to flows and mining and so on, and the economy grows 4%, means there's 2% net improvement in the standard of living of everyone on Earth. And that's where it comes from. And the use of the gold is no limit to that. Yes, it can. Yes, absolutely. As long as human beings have minds and thoughts, and yes, it does, and that's the whole point. Unless you're Malthusian, then you believe that we run out of resources. We don't run out of resources. We run out of human creativity, or human creativity is, is squashed. You know, there's no such thing as a resource. There's just stuff. I think Sandy started with this. He says, value arises from human consciousness. On Roman times, coal was jet, was blue jewels that, that people wore. At some point uh, during the, um, you know, the, the uh, Industrial Revolution, realized that the British supply of charcoal was running out. Energy crunch, couldn't build ships, masts, couldn't make iron because the uh, wrought iron had to be forged with charcoal. So they learned how to burn coal. We're going to substitute coal, and coal became the great resource. And then along came oil. And oil 200 years ago was a smelly nuisance in the farm that the cow stepped in until people figured out that there's some use to it. And now we're ready to fight wars. World War III may arise because of this stuff that was 200 years ago, <laughs> pollution, and today is the most precious stuff around, until the next level when fusion energy or what have you uh, takes the place of petroleum. There's no limit to human ingenuity. If it is, then human race is toast. Yeah, we might as well give up now. I think, really. Yeah. No, there is absolutely no limit to how productive a society can be. Absolutely none. You know, as, a, as an even more contrived example than, than Rudy's, the one that I like to give is about the jet engine. The jet engine was there in ancient Babylon. Okay. The materials to make it were all there. It's just that they didn't know how to make it, or they didn't know why they would want to make it, or they didn't even know what it was. So the material to make the jet engine was there in Babylon, save the intelligence and knowledge of how to make it. And that, that system of thought and manifestation of thought will only end when the universe ends, or we end as a species. Any more questions? Okay, I think uh, break, um, and then uh, a 15 minute break, and then we'll come back. Thank you.